Welcome everyone to our latest NCAA social series dealing with COVID-19 and plenty of other major issues across this country and in college athletics. I'm pleased to be joined this week, as I have been for almost every one of our social series, Dr. Brian Hainline, the NCAA Chief Medical Officer, Dr. Stephanie Coakley, the Senior Associate Athletic Director at Temple University, and Senior Miles Kale from Seton Hall, who I can tell you a couple of years ago, I was there for one of the biggest shots he's ever hit against Kentucky <laughs> at Madison Square Garden for Seton Hall's victory over the Wildcats, uh, which was a monster win for Seton Hall a couple of years ago. Uh, Miles, I want to start with you because uh, you were very active over the last week. We have seen protests across the country, across the globe, after the murder of George Floyd in Minneapolis. You actually went out and joined a protest, stood on a podium, and addressed a crowd in your native Delaware. Um, first off, why did you feel compelled to get out there and actually speak and try to contribute to this movement that we're seeing across the country and across the globe? Um, yeah, I feel like it was just important to uh, shine light on what we all say when we say Black Lives Matter, because seeing the, uh, the event that happened just recently, you know, it touched a lot of people and it touched a lot of my teammates and hearing it back from them, like it, it shines light on what we really mean when we say Black Lives Matter. And I just want to make sure uh, everybody's treated equally and safe because I know how often people can prejudge and, you know, just by the color of their skin. And I would say um, just watching the way you move on a daily basis is like really important on uh, how people would uh, prejudge or how people will look at you. So I feel like shining a light on that and using my platform the best I can was um, just important. I want to go around our group here. Um, George Floyd's murder has hit us all different than any other tragedy that we have seen uh, at the hands of any kind of police brutality uh, or any kind of racial injustice. Um, this one is different. Uh, clearly, there's a movement behind this. And I'll start with you, Miles, and then Dr. Coakley, and then Dr. Hainline. Uh, Miles, why has this hit you and your other peers and everyone else in your generation and all of us? Why do you think it has hit everyone differently? Um, because I feel like it happens time and time again, and we'll like, we'll kind of like brush it under the rug. We'll make it known that it has happened, but I feel like we haven't made the steps to um, do the things to make it change and make sure it won't happen again. And I feel like, um, you know, just spreading awareness uh, helps it make it not happen again. And um, I think this is the this is a good and bad thing since um, everybody's pitching in, you know, everybody's saying they're part of the movement, and I, I feel I feel like this change is going to happen, so. Dr. Copeland? That, that's a great question. What makes this, which makes this different? I think a big part of it is because we're sitting in the middle of a global pandemic, and everybody has a heightened sense of awareness right now, and arousal, and, and then also, we're all at home, or not carrying on our lives as we normally would. As a result, we've had all the time to pay attention to these injustices without any of our usual distractions. So two things to me stand out. 
the global pandemic, which has already heightened everybody's level of awareness, as well as the fact that we're, we're, not, we're not occupied as we normally would be. So we have to pay attention to these things. Dr. Hamline? I think Dr. Coakley brings up a very good point, and, and, and it's not only that it happened in the middle of a pandemic, but COVID laid bare already massive injustices in our society. If, if you look at the inequities and, and, and even uh, health care for, for people of color, the ability to be tested versus, versus those who are white, uh, even how the treatment happened in the hospitals, you look at the discrepancies and cost per patient. And there was a difference, and, and people of color are disproportionately affected by COVID-19. So, so that really was just in everyone's consciousness, or really it should have been in everyone's consciousness. And then, and then you see the, the, the murder of George Floyd, and, and it, it, it's sort of this like, well, yes, we already know that our society has, has this injustice that's massive. And then you see this, this blatant act, and, and that sort of resonated in a way that um, I haven't seen in a long time. I, I grew up in Detroit and, and, and saw the riots of 67 and, you know, and, and we lived through what happened in 92 in L.A. But, but something really is very different right now. And it, it seems multi-generational and, and, and everyone's uh, aware. And, and, and maybe COVID uh, helped set the tone for us to, to be awakened a bit more. I want to get to the mental health aspect. Uh, that uh, we'll certainly be facing college athletes here momentarily. But first, Miles, I want to get back to you. Uh, every uh, athlete that I've talked to over the last couple of weeks has felt empowered to share their stories of what it's been like um, if you're African-American just driving along and if you were to get pulled over, or if you're stopped in any sense, and how that is different. From your past experience, What's it been like if you have ever come, in, come across any law enforcement or even just when you're driving in terms of your own anxiety or your parents' anxiety about when you are out and about just living your normal life? Yeah. Um, I mean, it happens all the time. Like people, you know, just because the way I look or how I appear, people already think I'm, you know, some kind of crazy thug or like they, they just off the bat, they just look at me differently and I can just feel it by the way they look. Even while I'll, I'll go into Wawa and I'll be getting something and people already staring at me and looking at me just because of the way I look and I, I can feel it. And uh, just just things like that. It's just I want to see change happen. And I, I feel like that's the wrong thing to do and go about things. And we need it. We need to see change. But like. So, Dr. Coakley, I mean, you, you specialize uh, especially in anxiety, and, and I want to get to here momentarily about your work at Walter Reed uh, in that aspect, and sort of almost PTSD reaction, because I think there will be some of this, certainly. Um, but what Miles is talking about there, and we talked last week with Donald Remy, our NCAA uh, chief operating officer, and Kevin Warren, the Big Ten commissioner, uh, but that anxiety, that fear, even before all of this, that is in someone of color on a daily basis. How have you been able to talk to patients, student athletes, students, just everyone that you come across on how they have to deal with that anxiety and fear of just living their lives? Yeah, absolutely right. Um, 
the anticipatory stress that is present oftentimes when people are student athletes or anybody of color who wakes up in the morning and they're planning how they're going to go about their day, anticipating that they will experience some form of racism or um, some form of unjust treatment because of the way they look or how they sound. So one of the things I, I definitely try to talk to our student athletes with is because there are things in our environment that we can control and there are things in our environment that we cannot control. I know it sounds trite, but when we talk about using our resources to manage our emotional states, that's one of the strategies I talk to them about. What can you control? Which then speaks to a, you know, a larger thing because a lot of times African-Americans or people of color, they are trying to control so many things like how I look, am I, am I appearing to be too threatening? Am I wearing clothes that put me at risk? Should I put this hoodie on? Like These are all things that people do before they leave the house. And that is, that, that's a stressor. But given, you know, all of that, control the controllables. And what can you control? Dr. Hanlon, how, how concerned are you about this added stress and anxiety uh, that students, student athletes of color have felt and will continue to feel uh, as they go back to campus with also a pandemic still raging in different parts of this country. Well, I'm, I'm very concerned, Andy, and, and, and at many levels. So, so first, we, we already know that, that athletes of color, especially black male athletes, that uh, the mental health concerns that they have, they, they don't feel that they can express them, or they do express them, that they can be understood. And, and and, and part of the problem is just raising cultural sensitivity. And so there's a very now within the institute to do that. Um, the problem also, and Dr. Rowe speaking this as well, is that the overwhelming majority of licensed mental health providers are and, and And so, you know, there's this short-term issue of, of just the cultural sensitivity. I mean, do, can I really understand that as a as a white man, when I'm working with a black man, that this is what he's going through in the morning while he's dressing. And, and then you amplify that or, or across the day. And, and so that has to be understood. And then the long-term solutions, um, we actually have an innovative uh, uh, program in mind. And, and so it would be really, really cool if, if athletes and, you know, all athletes, but athletes of color, um, there really is a, a pathway to go into medicine, to go into becoming a licensed mental health provider. And so we sort of work with the short term and long term. And then the other issue, and picking up on what Dr. Oakley was saying, you know, when you're leading that life with that sort of stress, that has real physiological consequences. You're talking about uh, issues like uh, uh, cortisol and, and epinephrine and, and, and dopamine, and, and they're being uh, excreted and secreted at a markedly elevated level. And that has an impact on high blood pressure. It has an impact on your cardiovascular health. So, so it really isn't just a mental health issue. It's a profound physical health issue within the realm of, of really a public health problem. So, so it, it, it's, it's deeply concerning and, and, and requires imminent action. Dr. Coakley, you want to add on to what Dr. Hainline was just saying? Yeah, absolutely. You know, you talk about the public health. Racism has been, is, is starting to be framed as a public health 
crisis or a public health issue. And I think that that's the way to approach it because similar to the way COVID has been approached in this country, the actions have been decisive, they've been swift, they've been coordinated. And that's what we need when we talk about um, efforts to address the public health crisis of racism, we need swift, coordinated and decisive action from our leaders at all levels. So that's corporate, that's in the world of sport, that's in government, certainly in politics. We need that type of action and we need it now. Miles, you have actually a, a very unique perspective here because your father uh, was a Newcastle, Delaware police officer. And now if yep. I'm not mistaken, uh, works in the court system. Um, obviously, you know, the police are at the epicenter right now in terms of police brutality. How do we reform? There is push, obviously, to defund, although that term has been uh, sort of uh, not used correctly. It's not entirely not funding the police, but reallocating funds to the police departments and how, you know, they're used. Um, but what's your perspective actually growing up as a son of someone in law enforcement in terms of striking that balance of someone who has to protect and serve but also doing that in a just manner. Uh, yeah, me and my family, we have um, we have had a lot of conversations about what's going on, and they've been nothing but therapeutic. And uh, we just talk about our feelings in them, and my dad just explains like that, like all cops aren't like that. And growing up and seeing him work, I, I would never even see him like I would never even picture him like being in this position as uh, as the cop in the video, but um. Yeah, but I see that police officers are here to protect us and seeing those hurtful events happen time and time again, like you, you kind of like see, like you don't know what's going to happen when you get pulled over in those times. So, and just having having that uh, background of my father and knowing how cops cops like move kind of, uh, I feel like that, that helps me better and it helps me know how to, um, when how to address a cop when I'm getting pulled over and he teaches me like this is not the right thing to do this is the right thing to do and just having that it, it helps me a lot with the with the um with some of my personal experiences so here's the interesting thing miles um i mean my father was a professor or uh, you know and uh you know that that was my life my dad never had that talk with me uh, i'm curious um do, do, you know, has your father had that conversation with someone who's white about how you should handle being pulled over? Because I never had that talk, nor did I ever worry about what would happen if I got pulled over for speeding once I got my license. Yeah, um, I'm not sure if he, if he told anybody about that, but I know my mom, she she makes a big emphasis on it and she just makes sure as I know what to do in those moments. Cause it happens a lot, and she knows like I'm I'm I look like one of those those people that ha that it happens to. So like she makes a big emphasis on how how I carry myself, and she doesn't want me to move with bad intentions and always good spirits. So and be respectful to everyone. And um and I think my parents I I'm very blessed to have parents like that. So that was important for me. Doctor Coakley, um, there is a lot of mistrust now with local law enforcement. We are seeing universities actually say, uh, we're only gonna deal with our university police officers, not the local police officers. There's a lot of sort of divestment going on. Um, how are universities and student athletes and students 
going to regain or build trust with law enforcement once these students and student athletes get back on these campuses. You're in Philadelphia. I mean, there's been massive protests in Philadelphia and you're in the heart of the city at Temple. I mean, how is that trust going to be repaired? Because at some point there needs to be obviously some form of law enforcement, either it's campus or local. The conversations and having dialogue. Actually, we had a we had a protest on our campus on the weekend, and the police were working with us, the student athletes, the students, and the law enforcement. We were working in concert with each other, and I think there just needs to be a whole lot more of those open dialogues with the, the community that police the police officers are there to serve and keep safe, and as well as the students on the campuses or community members, just lots of dialogue. I think that's what, what we need to have um, in order to push this, this movement, give the movement the impetus that it needs to make these changes in how law enforcement is enacted. And not just by, because the police, it's, it's an umbrella term for a few people who do these crimes, but they put the emphasis on the crime, which makes the, the police officers, uh, actually it makes police, you know, they generalize to the whole law enforcement system. It's just a few, but we have to change the system so that the few that do the crimes or commit the crimes are, are weeded out. And Dr. Hanley, I'm going to get to you in a moment about what we're going to all see here in a couple months, but Miles, I want to go back to you about your Kale Cares program. Uh, you're a senior <laughs> now at Seton Hall. Uh, you've obviously been there and been able to be, in, you know, integrated into that community at Seton Hall, and then obviously where you're from in Delaware. And this was all before the pandemic, before yeah. these protests. What was your impetus to start the Kale Cares program? And then, if you can explain exactly what it is. Um, yeah, so uh, Kale Cares is actually a non-profitable organization that focuses on bridging the gap between uh, the black community and, and the police. And we have kids from ages third to 12th grade sign up for initiatives that uh, that tours courthouses, uh, police facilities, and jails all located in like the Delaware area. And then we also like hold a basketball clinic uh, to help to help these children with their skill work and making it making it known to always fight fight through no matter what, and even when you get tired. So always fight through the wall and uh climb the wall and uh seeing and hold up and in the future um i just see my program just like getting bigger and uh just having more kids come out and we we will always have the same objective and that's just trying to bridge that relationship between the police and black community so it children with all races can come in, come in and sign up but we had the same, you know, same memo, same objective, and that's just bridging that relationship. Well, you're doing wonderful work, and, and, and obviously this was even before all of this. Um, exactly. Dr. Hainline, we've talked about the injustices, obviously, dealing with law enforcement, and you mentioned at the beginning the injustices in medical care um, and the disproportionate way in which COVID-19 is affecting uh, the black and brown communities. Uh, once we get to a point, and hopefully sooner than later, with a vaccine, with treatment, uh, 
how do we deal with that injustice, that inequality about who gets treated, who gets the vaccine? Because there may be a line and like all these other things we're discussing, the black and brown communities might get put further, you know, sort of, it might be more socioeconomic for sure in terms of who gets access, you know, in terms of the timeline for this. So how do we solve that to not create even more inequalities as we hope to get on the other side of this pandemic? Well, Andy, that's, that's really a societal issue where the, 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 the demonstrations, the protests now, that's sort of the, the awakening. But we as a society have to decide what we really stand for. And, and so right now we, we stand for as a society that not everyone has the right to medical care. Uh, there's unequal access to, to medical care. Um, and, and you, you know, there's even any unequal access to, to education. You can just look at the pockets across society and, and, you know, we've allowed this to happen. And, and, and for many people that, that aren't experiencing that these demonstrations are, are just sort of an inconvenience. Well, it's an inconvenience because you've just been so unaware. So as a society, we have to awaken. And then you, you can take a, a, a dive and, and just look at every day what's happening in, 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 in the African-American society. And, and so as, as a group, and it's hard to always generalize, but, there, but obesity and hypertension and a lot of metabolic parameters, they're much higher in this community. And then even the access, you know, we were talking earlier about trust. If a black man is treated by a white doctor, the, uh, the trust factor makes a big difference because the compliance rate for treatment is about 30%. And when he's treated by a black doctor, the compliance rate is over 80%. But that's another societal issue because there were more black men in medical school in 1970 than there are today. So there were so many levels of massive, not just adjustments, but really an overhaul that has to happen if we're truly going to be a society that is providing equal access and equal opportunity to everyone. And, and that especially includes in, in, in medicine and, and really the right to be healthy. Well, all you got to do is look at corporate America, too, and go into any inner city and see how few major supermarket chains are actually in, uh, you know, inner cities. And they end up relying on much smaller, more expensive uh, sort of mom and pop situations rather than your big box supermarkets. So, yes, there's so many layers to this. Uh, Dr. Coakley, I, I want to go back to your work at Walter Reed, um, the Army uh, Medical Facility in Washington, D.C. And, and look... You know, I, and stop me if I'm drawing too much of a parallel here with PTSD here, but it seems that that aspect of dealing with, uh, you know, the shock of being singled out of an incident, being pulled over, um, hopefully not to the extent of what we've seen uh, in terms of either been shot or tased, but even just that, that anxiety and that fear of being singled out. Um, what parallels from your work previous in your professional life can you see that for someone returning from maybe potentially war versus someone literally on the street just being stopped and that PTSD, anxiety, fear that can go on for years? I mean, our bodies, like regardless of your race, we are hardwired to respond to stress the same way. And so whether you are downrange or whether you've been pulled over by a cop, the same thing is going to happen in your body if you're perceiving that as a huge threat. And so, I mean, yeah, I mean, 
people of color, African-American people of color in this country experience that repeated stress response chronically. And many people, you know, most people experience stress acutely every now and then or a couple of times and then it goes back to baseline. I mean, you, you think about people in this country probably since uh, George Floyd's, Floyd's death, there have been lots of people experiencing chronic stress that has not turned off yet because we don't know what's going to happen uh, when we go to a protest and we try to stand up for what is right and what is just. We don't know if we're going to get tased, uh, tear gassed, pellets, you know, any of these, these uh, negative outcomes just by going and standing up for what's right and what's just. So, yeah, it's, it's the same thing. PTSD in a soldier and a in a person in you, Dr. Heinlein, Heinlein and in Miles, it's the same thing. Uh, I'm going to get to Miles here to help us wrap up here in a moment. But Dr. Heinlein, um, when college students get back on campus, uh, I fully anticipate there will be, you know, more protests, more walkouts uh, in the fall. I mean, all this is happening across the country and college students aren't on college campuses right now. Just wait until they get back. So you've got that potentially happening, plus COVID-19, plus student-athletes dealing with all these restrictions that are going to happen for football, all the sports, men's basketball, women's basketball. What is your advice about how student-athletes are going to have to balance all this, that wanting to be out, to be involved, to be empowered, but also having to deal with masks and all the other restrictions that are going to be going on at the same time come September? Well, I think the, the first and most important thing is that the athletes look to one another and support one another. And that's a, it, it's, a, it's a unique opportunity right now for, I think, the athletes to show really the world how things can be done. So, yes, they can protest. Yes, they can demonstrate. If you're going to do it, please wear a mask because you're actually it's not because of your health. It's because of the health of everyone around you. And yes, you do need to, if, if you need to protest, you need to demonstrate, you need to let your voice be heard. Well, let your voice be heard and make certain that there's an, a forum for it. And, 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 you know, because when you keep the anger inside and you compound that with PTSD, it really has an adverse impact on so many things. So I think it's a unique opportunity for the athletes to shine even more than when it was uh, you know, we were talking just about COVID. We're really now talking about broad societal issues. So let's let the student athletes be the voice of, of, of how to be heard and how to be heard in a manner that makes sense, that, that we're also trying to change the safety mechanisms around us. But while we're doing it, we're being safe to others as well. Miles, I want to give you the last word because uh, over the last couple of weeks, uh, yourself included, we have seen student athletes speak up like I never before in my lifetime um, and felt empowered to do so and not feeling any fear of any reprisals or their coaches getting upset or anything. In fact, coaches are marching with their student athletes and we're seeing more and more of that. And then, and all of that is happening here in the spring. I think it will continue in the summer and then even into the fall. How empowered do you feel that you can express yourself standing out there for the world to see you, your peers, your teammates now and going forward. Um, yeah, I feel very empowered. And I, I would actually um, advise everybody else to just 
every uh, other student athlete to just use their their own platform and just go with the movement and just know that you just realize that they have a voice too and they can um they can do the same thing that I'm doing and uh especially during these these times I think it's it's the most important for them to do that so just using their platform and realizing that they can have a voice and because they have thousands of people looking up to them on social media even on even on a um if you talk in front of my like a protest like I did people are going to listen so I feel like if you just use that platform people are going to listen to you and uh I believe that better days are coming and I think God has a plan for us well certainly with people like you uh out there up front out front it's certainly uh you know extremely positive for I think all of us not just in this country around the globe uh, Miles Kale, senior at Seton Hall. We look forward to watching you on the court uh, next season, uh, playing well again for the Pirates. Um, Dr. Stephanie Coakley, senior associate athletic director from Temple. Really appreciate all your insight on this topic. And, of course, Dr. Brian Hainline, the NCAA's chief medical officer. Once again, this is our NCAA social series. Uh, we've been doing this really since the beginning of the pandemic. We will continue to do this every week. We really appreciate all the engagement everyone watching all our series here, you can always go to ncaa.org slash COVID-19 slash social series, certainly to see all our work over the last 11, 12 weeks. As always, stay safe, everyone. We'll talk to you again next week. Appreciate it. I'm Andy Katz. Thanks for watching.